Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Wendy C. Goldberg from Brooklyn, New York, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the tennis podcast. This is our annual tennis podcast recorded two weeks after Wimbledon, where we all try and remember how to podcast. Thank you to Wendy there for assisting us in our introductions. Wendy is a friend of Mary Carrillo's and any friend of Mary's is a friend of ours. So thank you very much. Wendy, hello, David. How are you, David? Hello, I'm all right. I am very much trying to figure out where I am and what's going on and the fact that we're doing a... Oh, and Billie Jean's also trying to wonder what's going on uh, by the sounds of it. Billie Jean's back, everybody. (laughs) We're not live, so you can't see that. So I thought I'd better describe... Billie Jean would like you to know that she is back. Yes. Uh, hello, Billie Jean. It's, it's, isn't it lovely to see Billie Jean? And I was just about to say I'm trying to get used to being back. Well, that instantly makes me feel somewhat at home. And Billie Jean appears to be trying to wave to me at the moment with her paw <laughs> on the camera. Um, but um, no, it's it, it, that was the only downside to Wimbledon live from Wimbledon was that we didn't have our sort of nightly sits on the sofa with Billie Jean while we were recording all this. Um, So um, sorry, Billie Jean, and it's lovely to be back. And yes, just trying to get back into the swing of things. Lovely to be here. Well, don't get too back in the swing of things because you're off on holiday tomorrow. Matt has already been on holiday since we last spoke to him. Matt, you big jet setter. (laughs) Yes, I've I've, I've had a a whistle-stop trip to Philadelphia to see my beloved Fulham. They scored They scored three goals on their tour of the US and I happened to see all of them, actually, which was somewhat incredible because we, we managed not to score in any of our next two games. Uh, but yeah, very fun time in, in Philadelphia with friend of the pod, Andrew. Had a great time, yeah, and good to be back. I was... I was replaced by Max Eisenberg last week, and <laughs> and and now I'm here again. <laughs> you you know you're a a fan of something when you're travelling across the Atlantic to 
to watch them play exhibition sport. Yeah, I I should be getting some serious <laughs> loyalty points from Fulham, mm. but I fear I'm not going yeah. to. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm a big enough fan of anything to travel across the Atlantic to watch, <laughs> to watch that. But anyway, I applaud you. I applaud you, Matt. Uh, right. Should we try and remember how to podcast and how to talk about tennis? We've all get the violins out for us, valiantly attempted to watch tennis this week so that we can tell you about it. it with all due respect to the events that have been happening this week and, and the week before, it does feel like this is the week. This week coming, starting today, is when the kind of the US Open series, the pre-US Open swing really gets underway. We have the Washington events, uh, both men's and women's. There is an event in Los Cabos. There's inexplicably Kitschbühel happening. Um, San Jose, I think, this week on the women's side no, as well. No, no. This. So- San Jose has has been has been swallowed up by Washington. So Washington is now a now a five hundred for men and women. But San Jose um, seems to still be appearing on my app. Yeah, the app is 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 having a tough time. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, but San Jose no longer exists. It's now it's now Washington, which is a five hundred for the women now. Thank you very much, Matt. <laughs> Matt does still remember how to podcast. That is the good news for you. Anyway, having said that uh, the proper tennis that we all properly pay attention to doesn't start until later on today. Should we talk about should we talk about last week's tennis? In fact, the last two weeks of tennis, um, because less than a week after winning Wimbledon, uh, we received a text alert on our tennis podcast whatsapp group from matt informing us that carlos alcaraz was playing tennis against david goffin on a clay court (laughs) and it felt like we had been transported via some sort of vortex into a mystical weird world and we all fact-checked it and it turned out to be true I, I really thought I had flown to a mystical world because I got off the plane in Philadelphia and was walking through the airport and there was a bar in the airport showing clay court tennis. And I thought, oh, this is this is the place for me. And then I looked closer and realized it was Carlos Alcaraz versus David Goffin. And I was like, hang on a minute. Did you check to see if it was a replay? <laughs> I think I would have done. I thought maybe it was from last year. And I was like, hang on a minute. I was watching... I was watching you win Wimbledon a second ago. Why are you now playing mm-hmm. David Goffin on clay in what I learned was the Hotman Cup? Very, very bizarre. And honestly, my first reaction was, what are you doing, Carlos? Because I do remember after he won the US Open last year, he went straight to play Davis Cup, which, you know, very, very honourable thing to do. We always want players to, to play for their country and play Davis Cup, but... You know, back in the last year, he ended up getting injured again shortly after that big US Open run that he'd had. And I don't know, it just, just worried me a little bit. I think I think the Hotman Cup is much more of an exhibition. I don't think it was too taxing. He only played a couple of matches as a as a match tiebreak instead of a full third set. It, it wasn't too demanding, I don't think. And, and he's had a break since then. But yeah, it, it was pretty pretty jarring to see him in that competition. It's tricky, isn't it, David? Because we we like 
the Hopman Cup. I'm glad it exists. I don't. I think it's a shame that it has to exist there in the calendar. I'm in favour of tennis having a full week off after after Grand Slams. I think there should be a sort of period of quiet reflection. But <laughs> tennis being tennis, obviously there's there's too much of it. Um, and you know, we both on we we objectively want the Hopman Cup to exist. Want the big players to play and support it and elevate it but we also really don't want to see Carlos Alcaraz risking injury at an event that let's face it doesn't really matter mm. um I, I think it's with him really it's really tricky isn't it it's it's heightened with him because it's him because he means so much to this current generation the landscape of tennis tennis has needed Carlos Alcaraz to come to the fore and have what what he had at Wimbledon, I think. And I know, look, there's loads of Djokovic fans who'll say, well, I think domination by Novak Djokovic is just fine, thank you very much. I understand that. But I think just looking at the scene, him having come along and just injected this lightning bolt through the sport in the last few weeks has been what the sport's been waiting for. And the last thing anybody wants is for that to just be dampened down immediately by an injury and and playing the week after Wimbledon feels like a risk as you both pointed out and is it a risk worth taking I it scares the life out of me as somebody who wants him to be the man that everybody's talking about for the next however many years particularly as I've said he'll win three calendar slams in a row <laughs> but uh, but I mean more to the point I then started to think well what does history tell us about this sort of move? And I remember going to Gestad in Switzerland the week, the day after Wimbledon finished, I went to, to Gestad and so did Roger Federer. We didn't go together, um, but we were both there and he played the Swiss Open in, in Gestad. And I mean, you know, that was very much an important event for him. It's where he made his professional debut. He was expected to go. He did go. I think he. I think he didn't play very. I don't think he lasted long. I can't remember. Hold on a minute. No, actually, he had a run. He had a run in two thousand three. I think he reached the final. That's right, and lost in the final. And then the next year, he came back and he won it. And it was a huge moment that he won his home tournament. And then he didn't play it again, ever. And and I think that that tells you something that you can, and Nadal's done it, and there's other players that have this ability to win a Grand Slam and immediately play again. And you know, unless they get really bad luck with an injury, be okay, be able to handle it. But I don't think that that is something that he can do year after year. I mean, he he may well have committed to playing this event, obviously before he knew he was going to win Wimbledon. I wonder whether better reflection in the future may may change his mind. It was a bit of a burn on, on David Goffin because Alcaraz said that he literally hadn't touched a tennis racket since since winning Wimbledon and then and then he went and beat David Goffin. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did beat David Goffin, but he didn't win the Hopman Cup. That was won by Croatia. Dona Vekic and Borna Cioric getting the United Cup band back together. And winning the Hopman Cup, they beat Switzerland in the final. Did anyone watch any of this? Has anyone got anything to points. say? I saw a few points, Catherine. And I think the thing is, again, 
the the quiet reflection of the sport that you kind of jokingly referenced i mean i took that seriously i did not watch any tennis for a week pretty much i i've watched some in the last week and i've caught up with things but i did feel like i needed a break that having been said we reached the final of Wimbledon. So, you know, there's a lot of players who didn't reach the final of Wimbledon who I think, you know, absolutely it's 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 good and right that they have a tournament to go play. Um, but it, it you need a break. And personally, I just think it shows what a dog's dinner this sport is with regards to team competitions. I do want a Hopman Cup, but that's because I want a mixed team competition. I want the United Cup because I want a mixed team competition. I like the Davis Cup. I like the, the Billie Jean King Cup. Why have we got four of them? Why have we got four of them and not one great one that does all the jobs? I mean, maybe there is room for a Hotman Cup just before a, like an Australian Open, like there used to be, or something like that. This just doesn't feel like the best place for it. And I say that probably very selfishly, because I happened to not be wanting to watch all the tennis last week. And I know that lots of people did turn out and play and watch. So maybe I'm not the best judge of it all. But I just it just makes me want the right team competition all the more as a result. I agree with all of that, David. But for, for the sake of our listeners that, that want to know what happened in the final of the Hopman Cup, Matt, anything? <laughs> Oh, I thought I'd successfully <laughs> dodged that by by Lost David stepping pass. in and, and and making his impassioned speech. Having a um, rant. <laughs> it was it was done in the singles. I think um, they beat. It was it was Celine Neif or Neif. I'm still not quite sure how to pronounce that name. Who was playing for Switzerland? Um, I first saw her play Venus Williams a a few weeks ago. She's only 17. I think they have quite high hopes for her in Switzerland. Uh, and then it was Riedi, I believe, was the was the Swiss man who was playing. So it was it was not a strong Swiss team, but they did manage to to get out of their group and yeah, get to the final and then lose to to Dorna, I think is their name. Donna and Borna. David's just given me a face. Oh, Sorry about that, David. I hate those things. <laughs> Unless it's Matherin. <laughs> Or Andrew, uh, those ones I'm all right with. <laughs> uh, valiant effort, both by you there, Matt, and by Croatia in the Hotman <laughs> Cup. Congratulations to you both. Uh, we also had the ATP event in Newport. Another really nice event. This is nothing against these events. Like that's a lovely event. Lovely grass courts. I know they've completely redone them recently. An extremely historic venue it deserves a better spot on the calendar it deserves to be part of the grass court season proper but there just isn't space to it for it because of tennis but um it exists the week after Wimbledon and it of course was won by Adrian Manorino that just feels so <laughs> that's exactly what I thought when I, I saw was it yeah, shocked like... that he'd never won it before <laughs> yeah Has me genuinely me too like I just there were years when Greg Rosetsky used to just go to Newport and win every year, and I just sort of assumed that Adrian Manorino had been doing that quietly for the last decade as well Picked without us really and... noticing. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, apparently not. Congratulations to Adrian Manorino on his first Newport Rhode Island title. <laughs> I mean, I think he is um, going to try and collect the grass court 
two fifties. I mean, he won. He has won Setogenbosch. He's now got Newport. I think he he got to the final this year, didn't he? In in Mallorca, lost to Chris Eubanks. Uh, that that very that much does feel like his sweet Adrian spot. That would be a very Adrian Manorino record mm. to yeah. have. I kind of want him to Just do a that. A little little collection of grass court two fifties. Go for your life, Adrian. We <laughs> wish you well. Uh, uh, Borstad was won by Andre Rublev. He beat Kasper Ruud seven six six love in the final, which makes it consecutive weeks. Just fast forwarding a week. Um, to uh where was it munich this week hamburg no hamburg i am all over it folks i'm all over the tennis of the last two weeks um but ironically this is i'm trying to talk about a match that i did actually watch with matt because casper reed lost a six love set to artifice um on his way oh, out yes. of that tournament oh, yes, as well did. so back to back weeks at ATP 250 and 500 events where Casper Ruud has lost six love sets and not won the titles. Is it a career in crisis is all, is all I want to know. No, I am joking, we've, we've, folks. Don't we've... come at me, Casper Ruud fans. <laughs> I know he's reached three Grand Slam finals in the last 13 months and he's excellent, but and lo- you all lo- know what I mean. And lots of people are going to be losing six love sets to Artifice over the next few years, I can tell you that. Um, although even I was a bit taken aback by that particular first set scoreline, which I didn't happen to watch because I was at the theatre. Uh, but you two told me uh, told me what was going on and I just sort of nodded knowingly. Um, but but it was a bit of a, a surprising level of domination, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? Mm. Well, we watched the second set, didn't we? Because it, it, it came to our attention that it was a six-love first set and we thought, okay, we've we've got to get this match on. And... Honestly, I, I didn't think in that in that second set, Rude was was all that bad. He looked pretty he looked pretty shell shocked by what was coming at him. Um, Feast was absolutely electric. He ended up with thirty five winners in the match to Rude six. <laughs> the way he wasn't he was making errors, was he? Rude. He wasn't playing badly. He just looked like a ball machine. Like he just looked powerless in the face of Artifice, who honestly, look, it was one set, one day, he's erratic at the moment, he's inconsistent, he ended up losing in straight sets in in his next match against Alexander Zverev. But for one set there, and I assume two, as I say, Matt and I missed the first set because it was over so quickly, for one set it looked Alcaraz-esque, what he was doing and the powers that he had. He was awesome. He was absolutely awesome. It's... It's the forehand mainly which which does the damage. I think that's his that's his preferred shot. But he can really get on top of the backhand as well. Um, Rude was was not particularly happy the whole week in 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 Hamburg. He was he, he was sort of moaning about the state of the court. I think he I think he went all Medvedev and said it was the worst clay court he's ever played on, or or something like that. And I think and I he think would know because he's a specialist. He, he's played on them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But even so, you know, he, he was, as you said, he was he was fine in that second set. He was just kind of being dominated by Feast, who is so ridiculously strong physically for a nineteen-year-old. You know, the way he the way he moves into the corners and plants his legs and 
is able to generate power from those positions is is pretty extraordinary. You know, it, it, that is something we see Alcaraz do. That's something we see Novak Djokovic do after all these years. You know, he's he's really honed that. But but Fis has just got that, that that solid foundations with his legs, and he just he generates so much power from those. Uh, yeah, he's he's such a fun watch. I would also add as well the the thing that really struck me watching the the match before that one and the one after it. Um, I, I saw him win through in straight sets in, in the round before he beat Rude, and I mean in that he was he was electric. But then in the in the match against Verev, which he lost handily. I mean he lost six two six four, and I joined that at sort of six two two level at the start of the second set, and he was poor. He was missing a lot. He just it was it was almost like one of those. Oh, have you have you heard about what this guy did to Kasparud? And everybody's t- tuning in, and he just lays an egg of a performance. It's just terrible. And and Zverev was solid. You know, he was hitting his serve well, but then eventually Feast just ignited, and he was staying with him on serve. And the final game. He he was dominating Zverev, and Zverev was doing some of the most incredible re- recoup- recoveries within rallies, just to stay in them and and somehow get some of these balls back and then turn them around on Feast. But the, what I was going to point to was Feast's overhead. He he if when he's getting to the net, I mean he's happy to volley. But if you if you throw a ball up really high, one of those ones that's going to land on the baseline and he's coming back, he will take it full out of the sky and hit a clean winner overhead time after time. I mean, it's, 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 I think that really takes some doing. I think those sort of players I, I do look for because there's no letting it bounce and looping it back. It's just going after it. Um, but as you said, Catherine, erratic at the moment. You you don't you don't quite know what his baseline level is because sometimes he'll play a match and you're thinking, why isn't he just stepping on it the way you know that he can? Because that's what Alcaraz does. Alcaraz is always stepping on it. At the moment with Fis, it's a it's an injection, and when the injection comes, it it takes your breath away in a very similar way to how Alcaraz does. Um, and it's just going to be fascinating to see his development because he is, I mean, I'd never heard of him this time of a year ago. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm super excited by him. I, I rearrange my day when he's on. Yeah, same. It's floor and ceiling, isn't it? I mean, the ceiling is so high with Artifice. He just has a low floor at the moment as very raw young players do. I mean, that's what Carlos Alcaraz has spent the last 18 months doing, raising his floor. I mean, his ceiling might have been it raised a bit but the spectacular has always been there since the very first time we saw him he's he's raised his his baseline level which is what makes the champions what makes what carves you into a champion and I'm quite sure that Artifice will do that and he will do it ahead of the curve simply because of how physically strong he is as Matt was saying it's his physique is absolutely ridiculous for a 19 year old and it doesn't look like a sort of accelerated I've just spent two solid months in the gym type physique it looks quite sort of settled and like it just suits him like regardless of what he was doing you know you know those people that just are like yeah I don't really go to the gym much I just sort of look like this he could play any sport he looks like looks like one of them 
Yeah. And he's yeah, he's so exciting. Can't wait to see him. I hope he hope he gets some fun draws over this US hardcore swing and plays some night sessions and has some moments, you know, gets to play some top players and, and show off a bit and announce himself to, to the world. That would be super cool. Um, so, yeah, ended up losing out to Zverev in Hamburg, who went on to win the title. Zverev beat Lazo Gera in the final in straight sets yesterday in Gstaad. It was the first career title for Pedro Cachin. He beat Albert Ramos Vinulas in the final and uh, the clip of him celebrating with his dog was sent to me by approximately a hundred different people on the internet <laughs> and I, I thank every single one of you very much um, loads of I got so many tweets saying just checking you've seen this at Sea Whitaker Sport and I was thinking yeah yeah I've seen it <laughs> I've seen it a lot because <laughs> um, it was it was so great so so great there should be a rule where if you bring your dog to a tennis match you you get you are allowed to win so that we get the (laughs) victory celebration with dog scenes we do not get them enough in tennis it was uh it was a good vibe from pedro cachin uh in atlanta moving on to the week that has just gone in men's tennis, we had a win for Taylor Fritz. Uh, he beat Alexander Vukic 6-4 in the third in the final. Vukic, somebody that I I felt the need yesterday to urgently identify. Like he's just been a name in a draw, a sort of a, pen, a potential sensation for me for for quite a while. You know, gets wild cards during the Aussie summer. Occasionally pops up and wins a match here and there. Hadn't really thought about him as a factor on the tour outside of that. But he beat Christopher Eubanks last week, didn't he? He's, he's putting together a few results. He's turning into to, to a pro- hello Billy Jean, turning into a proper top hundred player. And he gave Taylor Fritz a real run for his money in the final yesterday, Matt. Yeah, he did. Uh, Fritz Fritz was up a set, was trying to close it in that in that second set, but just couldn't. Couldn't really shake Vukic off. He's got he's got quite an awkward game, Vukic. He's got he's, he's got a. I'm gonna I'm gonna be terribly predictable and talk about his backhand, but he, he's got a really sort of stunted backhand. It doesn't doesn't flow very well. It's 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 nowhere near any lists, but it's quite a it's quite an effective shot in terms of just like being awkward. I think for opponents, uh, and that's exactly what he was for. For Fritz and I was impressed with Fritz to regroup and and win that third set. It feels feels like a title he maybe needed. I mean, I know he reached the Eastbourne final, um, but kind of since he won that title in earlier in the year, his his results haven't been maybe quite at the level that he would have liked. Uh, he, he seems to be in a bit of a weird place over the grass court season. But I think he does really back himself on on US hard courts. He's got this, he's got this sort of unwavering belief in his game, which is sort of what makes his Grand Slam results a bit weird. I think um, because it, it doesn't seem to be a lack of belief, a lack of trust in himself, a lack of confidence. I think he's got all of that. He just seems to have a bit of a Grand Slam problem at the moment. So I don't know whether we learn anything new about Fritz because I do back him to win these sorts of events, but. 
and he's going to have to prove himself at the US Open above above anything this summer. But good for him, I think, to to just get back get back to winning, you know, because he hadn't been doing as much of that as he probably would have liked. Um, but he, he's a really interesting name to watch. I think this this US hardcore swing. I, I still don't quite know how how big of a deal he is in America. You know, I feel like Francis Tiafo is going to get bigger showing at the US Open uh, and but Eubanks. For- and probably Eubanks as well, you know. So I don't know. Instinctively, I maybe think can Fritz use that to his advantage? But actually, I don't know. I think he, I think he quite likes being a big deal. We saw how he embraced playing at Indian Wells last year, and and that spotlight. So it, it, it's it's an interesting place for him to be in. And if he's in really good form, he'll be one of the guys you'd be looking at to try and really reach the quarters or semis of the U.S. Open because he he can be that good on on a hard court, but. He's got to show something different at, at the slams, but a really good start for him on the on the hard courts. Yeah, I agree. I found this a really interesting week for Taylor for interesting summer for for Taylor Fritz, and I I totally agree that he's somebody I'm pretty intrigued by over the coming weeks. I saw that he was playing Atlanta, and I I had a sort of sharp intake of breath about it because I I was worried about him all all grass court season he did not seem right i know i'm i know i'm over egging my sort of the intuition that i felt when i sat down to interview him ahead of queens but he just didn't seem right he seemed not not really present and i think maybe he's played a lot of tennis i thought maybe he was a bit jaded these grand slam disappointments piling up mentally for him and i thought do you need a few more weeks away from tennis? Do you need to be playing 250s in Atlanta that, as Matt said, you know, regardless of how you perform there, don't tell us anything new about you? And I really thought, mm, is this a good idea? Is this going to be a continuation of Taylor Fritz's grass court season into the hard courts? And look, I agree. We didn't. He didn't beat anybody that he shouldn't have beaten on paper last week and we didn't learn anything new about him. But maybe this can be a turning point, the fact that he's he's got that title under his belt. I, I, I don't know. I still don't trust him. I still think he might still be in a weird place. It's not enough data yet, but it could. It, we could look back and see this as a bit of a turning point for him. Mm. Uh, well, you... You kind of need to see him in another press conference, really, or interview situation, Catherine, probably, or some some situation which is a, is an equivalent of of what gave you that vibe. Because I got the same thing just from listening to him talk, and one or two of the results just felt weird to me. And I think this was it, and it, and it's only hindsight that I'm saying this in going there and winning the thing is probably going to make him feel great again and at least give him a lift. So um, it could be the reboot he needs because uh, I think that there are some players. I've, I've heard people say this about another player we'll be coming on to in a little while, Zhang Chin Wen, that if you, if you only play the big events and you get lots of losses at them because you're playing bloody good players all the time, you can really lose your way and so it, it's a it's a difficult balance that but I think I think that's a really a really good important week for him in Umag this week Alexi Popperin won the title bit of an epic final he beat Stan Rinker. um I watched 
bits and bobs of this. He came back, didn't he? Wawrinka had won the first set. Tears from Stan Wawrinka in the trophy ceremony afterwards, and he just said, "He said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for crying. I just love this sport so much. It's lovely. And um, it's lovely. Yeah, it was. It really, really got me that because mm. I think he's he's showing almost for the first time to me." Uh, I think he's showing it with his tennis, the fact that he's doing this the same way as Andy Murray does it when he doesn't need to be. He's just going out there and trying to ring down every last drop. But this is the first time he's been there in an exposed situation in front of a big crowd in Umag, which is a tournament very close to my heart because I, I, I attended it a few times 20-plus years ago and met my wife there. So it's very, very nice uh, place for me to, to watch the finals of. And they always get a great crowd. But look, it's, it's a 250. It's not a massive event. But the players that go have such feelings of warmth towards it. I know that. that there's a vibe about it. It's, it's really special. Um, and I think Stan is just looking at the sport and thinking, well, how many more times am I going to be in front of an absolutely packed crowd on finals day, fighting my heart out against a guy like this who's doing the same? And I think, you know, probably the 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 spectre of retirement is something that he's he's just trying to fight it off. And he's and he's probably seeing his his whole career now in reflection. On, in a moment like that and and just trying to make the most of it and enjoy it and and I also thought Alexei Popperin's words were really moving as well I mean both about his own success and paying tribute to his parents who were watching him win a title for the first time that was all very you'd have really gone for that Catherine it was lovely but also he he just turned to Stan Wawrinka and he just said you know you you basically I love you you're like my hero you I I, I watched you play all those matches against Djokovic and Nadal and and won your grandson titles and I was always cheering for you so you, it was it was really something to see that moment. He, he's good with a mic in front of a crowd, Alexi Popperin. I remember his his mm. speech at the Australian Open this year when he when he beat the aforementioned Taylor Fritz and he he spoke then about how how much it meant to him and and how much how much work he'd put in to be able to sort of get that win. He's got and a good team, you know, Matt. I mean, Neville Godwin got Neville and Godwin, Xavier Melise yeah. are his team. I, 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 was, I did not know that. <laughs> was it what? Neville Godwin that was working with Hyun Chung when he reached the Australian Open semi-finals? Mm. I think it... I think it might have been. I, th- I know he, he worked with Kevin Anderson when Anderson, Kevin Anderson. Got, to the, got to the final of the US Open. Yeah. Well, I, I think... I think Popperin's always been one of those players who it's obvious he's got a lot of strengths, you know, I th- and I think for coaches, they must, they must look at that and think, I could really work with him and, and, and make him better, I suppose, because there's so, much, there's so much potential in his game. And I was really impressed with him yesterday because he was, he was cramping in that, in that final set against Wawrinka and... He'd had a really long match in the semi-finals as well, and he'd, and the crowd they weren't like against Popperin so much as they were with Wawrinka, you know. But it was it was a lot more noise for Stan, and just the way that Popperin dealt with those cramps, with the crowd, with Wawrinka throwing some of his best stuff at him. I was just really impressed with that, and so mentally tough, which is perhaps unfairly not something I always associate with Alexi Popperin, especially especially outside of Australia. You know, we do joke that he 
sort of goes missing for 10 or 11 months of the year because he, he makes often makes such a splash at the start of the year and then you don't really think of him again for until the next Aussie summer mm. when he's got all that crowd behind him but I was really impressed with this with this win and uh yeah it was it was sad to to see Wawrinka sad um it sort of crept up on me how old he is actually now I mean he's, he's He's 38. He's he's sort of in between Federer and the and the rest of the big four, isn't he? He's older than Djokovic and Murray and and Nadal and a couple of surgeries a couple of years ago. But he, the thing that's changed is he used to be he used to be so good in really big matches. He used to have an incredible finals record, but actually, sort of since the injuries, his finals record has been has been quite poor, and he, he hasn't won a title since 2017. And and he's not diesel anymore, is he? He doesn't... No. He fades, like mere mortals, he fades as matches go on rather than... Right. ...growing as mm. they go on. Yeah. I, I just think he wanted he wanted a little... He just wanted that taste of victory again. Mm. And he was so close. Um, but, yeah, Popperin, Popperin was... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Awesome. The WTA event in Budapest was won by 19-year-old Maria Timofeva of Russia. Hold my hands up. She is a new name on me. That was a tour debut for her. She beat the Ukrainian Katerina Baindel in the final. Um, she became only the fourth lucky loser in WTA tour history to win a singles title and the first since 2019. So... 
a name to look out for for the future for sure um we had the wta event in palermo and a first career title for jung shinwen she beat jasmine paulini in three sets in the final and i personally am delighted to see this because i do not understand why jung shinwen hasn't been happening david she is so good and i know she's young you know progression especially when you're transitioning from being a teenager to being a hardened tall pro that transition isn't linear and we quite often just expect talent to directly translate into results but her progression has been slower and rockier than than I expected even accounting for all of that because she is so good I really think she's the real deal yeah, when you see the raw materials of the game, I think you're taken with her immediately. You 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 do think, oh right, we've got a real player here, and there was it was a very diluted version of it, but it was almost a bit Raducanu like in the way that she came on the scene. She's, I think, she took a set off Iga Swiatek at a Grand Slam, and it pushed her, made everybody think, oh my word, she's really really good, um, and we'll watch her in the future. And then it didn't really happen. There were some some moments. There were some close matches against big names, and you just sort of thought, "Oh, it's it's only a matter of time." And as I said earlier, she she just seemed to play all the big tournaments. And 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 actually, it's a, it's a result like this that I think she was missing that kind of building block moment of winning a title against a a less strong field and coming out holding the trophy holding the trophy is so underrated i think i mean we sometimes poke a little bit of fun about players who who work their way around the 250s but i i i believe in it so much in terms of the mental health of tennis players because all they know is losing if they don't go and play at a lower level and win a title a lot of the time um she's coached by wim Fassett, which i think is 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 exciting in itself because you know he's got such a record of working with top players suggests that he really believes in her talent as well and yeah hopefully this is the start of of the steps that we kind of assumed she would take automatically but I think also shows how blooming hard it is yeah here here uh, in Warsaw, Iga Świątek won her home title. She beat Laura Siegmund six love six one in the final. She'd hate me for saying this, but that is a bagel and a breadstick for Iga Świątek. She hates the bagel breadstick bakery jokes so much, doesn't she? <laughs> and that kind of makes me want to keep doing them. Um, but yeah, this is another one where. It, it's her home title. Obviously, it's Warsaw. There's a emotional pull to play there. But will she keep playing there for her whole career when it kind of doesn't fit into a, you know, an arc in a season? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Going to be interesting to see. Well, it's it's quite interesting how the surface has has changed of that tournament. That was a that was a clay court event last year, which probably makes the least sense after Wimbledon really for Igor Svantec to be going back on onto clay but the fact that now it's actually on hardcore for the first time this year maybe does make sense for her to play it you know she can start her preparations for the US Open with a home tournament in Warsaw and 
she said afterwards that she found the pressure of of trying to win that as as stressful as trying to win Roland Garros in, in terms of all the attention that was on her. And honestly, whenever I tune into her matches this week, it was packed. I mean, it, it felt like there were it felt like there were more people in the stadium than they had seats. I mean, it was it was awesome <laughs> to see that. And um, yeah, I mean, that was the jeopardy for her this week. The pressure of trying to win at home. She didn't play anyone in the top 50. Three of the players she beat, including the semis and the final, were, at, were ranked outside of the top 100. Um, Karolina Mukova going out in the other half of the draw just completely opened it up for Igor Svantec to win. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a big moment, I think, for any player to win a, win a title at home for the first time, let alone the the world number one and and so just speaking of that world number one ranking something that i think is going to be interesting to monitor over the next few weeks is this continued fight for the world number one ranking especially mm. with Igor Swiatek defending um the US Open of course and it it, it struck me this week that Swiatek has got the third longest streak in history on the WTA side for a first time number one only only Steffi Graf and Martina Hingis, when they first got world number one, had it for longer than Sviantek, who I think is on about 69 or 70 weeks now. And I think what I find really impressive about that is that Igor Sviantek didn't get the world number one ranking in the in the normal way. You know, it, it felt in such a state of flux when Ash Barty retired. But Igor Sviantek has totally made it her own. And I think we can... I think we can probably underestimate that achievement. That that's pretty extraordinary what she's done for the last seventy weeks. Mm. And as I was saying about Wawrinka now having a really bad finals record, of course, Fiontek, we know she's got an awesome finals record, fifteen from from nineteen there now. And yeah, it just it just sets her up, I think. I think I think actually kind of the perfect tournament to play after after Wimbledon for her set her up for this hard court swing and i believe i believe a change in the u.s hard court swing this year is that they're i can't remember what type of balls they're using but i think they're using the better balls and i know she won the u.s open anyway without without those balls so maybe it was a non-issue all along but maybe it will just help her sort of comfort level through the swing that actually she's going to be playing with balls that i think she prefers Ash Barty and Craig Tizer plotting plotting the comeback <laughs> as we speak, subsequent to that ball exactly. news. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Come I mean, back. it means the career slam is possible, doesn't it? Because, as we know, there was no way that world number one Ash Barty was winning the US Open with those balls. <laughs> but now uh, it's all there for her. Um wouldn't it be funny if that were if that actually happened? <laughs> anyway, uh, the WTA event in Lausanne, Switzerland, was won by Elisabetta Cocciaretto. She beat Clara Burrell 7-5-4-6-6-4 in the final. And at the WTA event in Hamburg, uh, Arantxa Roos, the Dutch player, was the champion. She beat the story of the week, the wildcard Noma Noah Akugwe in the final, a German player of Nigerian heritage, a real a real breakthrough star of the week, Matt. Yes, I I really enjoyed watching her. She's um she's lefty, she's a teenager. Um I think it's I think it's quite hard for 
German players. This was certainly what what German journalist Yannick Schneider was was saying. Quite hard for them to get wild cards into German events because mostly those German events are quite small and sort of quite high level. You know, we're talking about normally like Stuttgart and and Berlin. They have small fields. They don't they don't give these wild cards to such lower ranked players. But Hamburg becoming a becoming a joint event as it has a 250 sort of opened that opportunity up for Kuwe and and she seized it she was awesome um did a bit of digging and just to find out a bit more about her Petkovic was in her box the whole week um she had this shoulder injury apparently at the end of 2021 which sort of sewed her progress down a bit but but has been a name that, that sort of German tennis has has known about and this was sort of her home tournament because yeah her her father uh, moved moved to Germany during the sort of height of Steffi Graf's dominance in in the 90s, and they moved to just outside Hamburg, so uh, only about 20 kilometers away, I think. So a really big deal for her. She um, she was just a lot of fun to watch. Really big forehand, um, recovered from losing a six love set and saved a match point against Storm Sanders. Very dramatic match there. Won a won a physically grueling match against Trevi San as I think most matches are against Trevi San and a cold handshake in that one from Trevi San and then um then she kind of dominated Diana Schneider in the in the semis another another young lefty I thought that was a really interesting semi-final both both looking to sort of break through and yeah it was uh, a Kuwe who did it and yeah just you know maybe ran into the experience of Arantxa Rus in that final although I was Shocked that that was Roos's first first WTA title at uh, at 32. She's the oldest first time winner on the WTA tour for I think about 40 years. So that that had been a long time coming for her. But she's been around a long time. Um, but yeah, r- really exciting week. And it, I think it takes a coup away from you know it certainly in- improves her ranking a lot. I think she was around about 200 in the world, and she she'd have really improved on that now. So yeah. Just a, just a one of those stories that happens in a week like this. I think you do get you do get some like Andre Rublev winning a title or Taylor Fritz, and it's like okay, yeah, we you know we know that you can do this. And then sometimes you it, it's an opportunity for someone like Akuwe to sort of make a name for themselves. I ask him for Noma Akuwe facts. He gives me bonus Arantxa Roos <laughs> facts. Matt <laughs> Roberts, ladies and gentlemen. It is quite cool, isn't it, to to get to thirty two and win your first title, and you know you mm. spent all that time trying and brilliant, love that. And losing, as you say, David, she every single week of her career mm. up until this one, she's lost. Well, that's yeah. a lovely thought, isn't well, it? Well, Glad, well, we, <laughs> Glad well, we landed there. Although she she has done the sort of thing that David was saying is good for a tennis player and she plays loads on the ITFs and she wins all of them mm. she's won oh okay right. I think, I think, I think she's <laughs> so, won like 25 or 30 titles but never a WTA event right so it was yeah, a sort of of course sort of levelling up <sighs> You two produced accurate Arantxa Roos stats. I've produced a inaccurate Arantxa Roos stat off the top of my head that won't won't be attempting that in the future. Um, staying in Hamburg just for a moment, I mentioned earlier that Zverev won the title there. Um, some Zverev 
news came out over the course of the last week via a series of tweets by the aforementioned Yannick Schneider, although it's being widely reported, particularly in, in the German press. This from Yannick's, well, I was going to say Twitter, but it's, do I have to call it X now? Oh, God. No. You don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. I've just clicked on it and a big X symbol has come up and it, my heart just, I mean, isn't, my heart was already sinking. Isn't the URL second, anyway. still Twitter? I think it is. Yeah, it's it's having an identity crisis. Mm. Anyway, Yannick reporting um, that a spokeswoman for the Berlin Criminal Courts confirmed to German media R- RTL that the Berlin Public Prosecutor's Office has applied for the issuance of a criminal order against Alexander Zverev. Whether a penalty order will be issued is currently being examined by a judge, I think. Yannick continues, RTL writes, the application for the issuance of a penalty order, order shows that the Public Prosecutor's Office sees sufficient suspicion of the offence. It is not a judgment, but a proposal for a decision by the public prosecutor's office, and that could spare Zverev a public trial. An appeal against the penalty order can be lodged within two weeks. Until then, the presumption of innocence applies. Uh, The assault allegations that led to the charge come from Brenda Patea, with whom Zverev has a daughter. Her management informed RTL that an order of summary punishment has been filed on the charge of assault. RTL does not know the exact charge and Patea didn't comment further. German magazine Spiegel got the confirmation as well, the saying the Berlin Public Prosecutor's Office applied for the issuing of a criminal order against the 2021 Olympiad champion at the Tiergarten District Court on the 7th of July. The reason of this is the suspicion of bodily harm. Um and Zverev was asked about the allegations in Hamburg and he said, I completely reject the allegations. My lawyers will take care of the matter. I won't say any more on that. Staying with news, um, we have a few more bits and bobs to clear up. We had the news a couple of weeks ago that Mikael Immer, the Swedish player, has been suspended for 18 months for an anti-doping rule violation. In June 2022, an independent tribunal cleared him of failing to declare his whereabouts three times in 12 months. The International Tennis Federation then lodged an appeal with the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which imposed a ban on the 24-year-old. This week, Emma put up a couple of quite lengthy tweets or X's. I don't know, Um, explaining the situation, says it's been unreal, um, some very difficult days to me, uh, trying to find the right way to process it all. He said, I would, however, like to put on record my experience with the third incident that subsequently ended up resulting in the ban. He said, as I explained in my first statement, I was initially cleared by an independent tribunal set up by the RUF. I argued that my third incident, this is the third missing of a um, a random drugs test, he said, wasn't an offence, as I was exactly in the place I thought I was supposed to be in at the time I was supposed to be there. The tribunal agreed with me and cleared me of wrongdoing, but the ITF felt compelled to appeal to CAS. That was utterly disappointing. The ITF is supposed to be a protector of our sport and its participants and should only reluctantly ban all of their players from being able to compete. Um, Let me first 
briefly explain the whereabouts system every day of the year. And this applies to all professional tennis players. He says, I have to provide the location where I can be available to WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, for an hour of the day. As an athlete, there are a lot of last-minute changes in one's location due to results, changes in travel plans, etc. I get tested constantly, but you never know when they decide to show up. Clearly, the tests have come back negative without any issues every time. He says he understands the system is put in place to keep our sport clean, etc. He said after losing in the Paris Masters 1000 tournament in 2021, I travelled to Rouen, France to play a challenger. Often the tournament has a main hotel and a secondary one. I'm usually booked into the main official hotel and was told by my agent I was booked into the official hotel. However, when I tried to check in, it turned out that I had actually been moved to the secondary hotel, which is an eight minute drive from the main hotel, not on common didn't think twice about it went to my room it just happened to be that wada decided to show up from outer competition test the following morning at the main hotel um so he goes on to explain the situation further that was the the third of the third of three um missed tests that is kind of a three strikes and you're out system um i really feel for Mikhail Immer, I really do. This must be terribly distressing. I've got no particular reason to mistrust his explanations. I know it is a challenging system for athletes, the rigorousness of the anti-doping testing, and I know that it is harder to adhere to for lower level players than it is for top tier players because they have less resource. You know, that situation regarding hotels, that ain't happening to Novak Djokovic or or Carlos Alcaraz. And I think perhaps there could be more support in place or better communications, etc., to make it easier for low level players. I don't know. But I do know as harsh as it must seem, and as much as my heart goes out to Mikhail Immer, I do want the punishment for missed tests to be stringent and harsh. In in lots of ways, it has to be as harsh as the punishment for failed tests or else missed, missing tests will be the the way to dope undetected. So I think both those things can be true. I think you can have a lot of sympathy for him and still think it's it's the right thing. I agree. I agree with that. Um, I mean, you know, you miss two. For a start, you put yourself on the back foot. And I do I do sympathise because also the, the, the level of detail he's gone into there, if if, if what he's saying is, is correct, then it, it sounds unlucky um, at, at, at worst, you know. But, but I don't know. I... I agree with you. The, it's a tough situation, but all of the players have got to do it. And they all talk about it. All the ones who who are not getting caught out are talking about how tough it is. But they also accept it because how else are you going to keep the sport clean? Um, so, yeah, whether he's got any right to some sort of appeal that will reduce that sentence or or maybe overturn it in some way, we'll, we'll wait and see. But... Um, yeah, I think it is good that they that they have it this way because I don't see how you keep it clean otherwise. Other 
news controversy in the tennis world, something that kind of blew up a bit on social media, an incident between Zhang Shui and Amarissa Toth, the Hungarian player, at a tournament in Hungary. Um, now, what happened here, for anybody that haven't, hasn't seen it, is that Toth apologised for erasing a ball mark during her match against Zhang Shui, with the disputed line call leading to Zhang retiring in tears. Zhang had hit a cross-court forehand that appeared to land on the line, but was called out by the line judge. The chair umpire stepped down to take a look at the mark and confirmed the ball had landed outside the line. Zhang was incensed by the call and asked to speak with the tournament supervisor. The match continued for one more point, but the disagreement over the disputed call continued before Toth walked up to the mark and used her shoes to erase it as Jung was yelling at her to stop. Jung looked visibly distressed during the changeover. Physio was called to check on her before she opted to retire, trading 6-5 in the opening set. Toth then celebrated pretty... Demonstratively, there was a huge outcry from fellow players. Ons Jabur, Derek Hazekina, Maria Sakari, Martina Novatilova, they all weighed in. Uh, Toth then um, issued a statement. She said, I'm extremely sorry for what happened. I respect Jung Shui as a person and just as much as an athlete. It was never my intention to disrespect, to upset or to hurt anybody, let alone Jung Shui. I do realise I shouldn't have celebrated in the way I celebrated after the match. And I'm sorry for that. But I got caught up in my emotions by the heat of the match. And I got caught up in the moment. I focused on tennis. I didn't want to win like that. I hope that in the future I have the opportunity to sit down and talk with Jung Shui and tell her how badly I feel that our match ended this way. I don't have a huge amount else to to say on the matter. It sounds like it was a real misjudgment by an inexperienced player and she's kind of owned that in the statement. Does anybody have anything further? I mean, just that... <laughs> This this really did cause such a stir. I mean, among among players, that was what really struck me. Um, and I think when when you've got any sort of matters of sort of on court conduct or sportsmanship, it's always quite interesting when other players get involved. Um, and clearly, they didn't like what they saw. I must say, I thought it was a huge overreaction from everyone. Um, Zachary said that Toth should be suspended from the sport. I mean, I mean, what are we doing? I mean, <laughs> the optics weren't great, but actually I don't think Toth did anything wrong in terms of rubbing out that mark. I mean, the point was over, it was finished. That is, that is something that happens. The players do rub out marks, maybe two or three points later. Um... I thought the umpire should have let the supervisor come out and let Zhang Shui speak to the supervisor. That might have been a way of sort of helping helping calm her down. I think a lot of the outcry and support was because Zhang Shui is such a popular player and has been having a really, really rough time, hasn't been back to China in a couple of years. I think there's been some, some deaths in the family. She's on a horrible losing streak. It's a really tough time for her. And I think I think people were trying to be sympathetic and nice to her but sort of ended up really taking it out on on Toth who I think 
the celebration wasn't necessary. It was a it was an over celebration. It was pretty sort of it wasn't very dignified. Um, and I think I think that's what she should be maybe apologising for. And that is what she apologised yeah. for. Yeah, I mean the rubbing out the mark. I think a lot of people felt like it had happened straight after the point and it was mm. sort of erasing evidence. But the umpire had made the call and that is something that happens. Players do get rid of marks. Um, it, it didn't look great, but I thought that I thought it was a huge, it was a huge overreaction. And yeah, I, asking for her to be suspended from the tour. I mean, sorry. Mm. like Yeah, when I, when I saw matter. those reactions, I, I went, I went back to watch it again, just assuming I'd missed something. Um, and I hadn't. Like, I really tried to get myself worked up about it. And I couldn't do that. I felt really sorry for, for Zhang Shui. And it was a complete misjudgment on the celebration from mm. Toth. But that's 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 really all, all I have to say about it. Um, in terms of forward-looking... Uh, we have Washington kicking off this week, obviously. We have the events in Canada the week after that in Toronto and Montreal. That's the first of the two 1,000-level events in the build-up to the US Open. We know that Novak Djokovic and Ons Jabeur, the two beaten Wimbledon finalists, are out of those events in Canada. Djokovic citing fatigue, Jabeur citing the knee injury. Um I don't know what to read into that with Jabur. My initial reaction was that I assume that really it's kind of the same reason as Djokovic, i.e. I just need a a bit more time, which I find completely legit. But then she has had knee niggles, so it could be that there's something going on there. We just don't know until we see her play, and that will be in Cincinnati, and we assume that will be the case for for Novak Djokovic as well. Um, at the US Open this year, we've had the news that video review technology will be used for all main draw matches played on Arthur Ashe, Louis Armstrong, uh, Grandstand, Court 5 and Court 17 as an officiating aid. The chair umpire will be able to review the replay of the situation via a tablet on the umpire's chair. Alleluia. How is it taken so long? Total yeah. no-brainer. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a relief. That um, yeah, the U.S. Open's quite good like this. They do tend to just see some common sense things that technology can get involved in and solve, and just do. Mm. Um, so you know, and you'll 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 very quickly find that every everywhere is doing it. Yeah, absolutely, and quite right too. Um, as I said, the ATP and the WTA are both in Washington this week. They are both five hundred level draws um the strength of the draws is quite different and the size of the draws is quite different the atp has a draw size of 48 the wta has a draw size of 28 um and there's an enormous discrepancy in prize money as well the men's champions prize money is almost triple that of the women's and i repeat these are events of the same size and i know the wta has set out their pathway to equal prize money it's quite a long pathway um but that is where they're headed towards and that is obviously a good thing but that doesn't mean i don't think that we can just go oh well we're on the right path let's let's turn a blind eye because 
triple triple and it's it's not just about the money the playing opportunities the WTA main draw cut is 39 and the the ATP main draw cut is 142 um and Katie Bolter was one of those that that tweeted about that it's just an unacceptable disparity um Jessica Bagula is the top seed and has a bye. She could face Sophia Kennan in round two. Big yes, please, to that. Caroline Garcia, who Matt and I, we saw another last week. We had to spend considerable time to try and remember that Caroline Garcia was the Cincinnati champion last year, David. I, I would not have known would that. Would you have remembered you that? Me. No chance. No chance. And, and, I, I, and now you mention it. I remember her having a, a several months in a row really good streak, but I, you know, that had completely mm. gone over me. She's the second seed in Washington. She will face either Andrescu or Kostyuk in round two. Those two play later on today. Um, other round one matches are Jennifer Brady making her comeback, and there was a, a really interesting piece by Christopher Clary in the New York Times about Jennifer Brady and the horrors that she's had injury-wise over the last couple of years. She faces Anglina Kalinina. We've got Zhang Xinwen against Madison Keys, Belinda Bencic against Potapova, Samsonova against Collins. Uh, we also have Alina Svitolina against Victoria Azarenka as a first-round match, which is obviously... Um, mouth-watering and we also have the news this is via Ben Rothenberg um, at her press conference at the tournament in Washington Elena Svitolina said that she talked yesterday with WTA CEO Steve Simon who told her that they will announce to the crowd before her match tomorrow versus Azarenka that there will be no handshake I'm happy with that Svitolina said um, and I think we're all happy with that I think that's another another win for common sensible. sense, isn't it? You know, yeah. just f- that's the way to handle it. And I still think delivery of that message has got to be done at the right time when enough people are in their seats and it's not blazing music all around. They almost need a quiet second to and to deliver it in a way that doesn't make people boo them immediately. Mm. There, there needs to be context given or reminded of um, not that you feel like the world should need a lot of reminding given what's going on at the moment, but just it just needs to be worded well. And if it is, I believe this is the solution. Agreed. And yeah, we in the tennis bubble think, gosh, who could possibly need reminding? But we've we've got enough evidence now, haven't we, from Wimbledon and the French Open that reminders are required to prevent uncomfortable an unpleasant situation. So I'm glad that's happening. In the ATP draw in Washington, Taylor Fritz is the top seed. Francis Tiafo, Felix Auger-Aliassime, he's another one. I'm watching this swing. Don't know if he's fit. That's going to be interesting to see. Hubert Hercatch, who can't believe we haven't led with this, did a Twitter Q&A over the weekend, David, which you followed intently. Yeah, I, what I mean, I, bombshells did we learn? I didn't learn an awful <laughs> lot, if I'm honest. I mean, maybe I learned all there is to learn. Um, but uh, people were enthusiastically sending in their questions, and um, Hubert um, didn't didn't have a lot to enlighten me with that I didn't already know. Put it that way. Um, Has he got a favourite hoodie? No, he doesn't. 
That is what we now no, know. Like, like some more, like some more. Um, favorite. Fa- I, th- I don't. I, th- I don't know whether he was joking when he said what you, his favorite meal was cereal, <laughs> but uh, but may- maybe he was. Um, if it was, that's quite a good joke. But um, I-, I fear maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, good for him for engaging with his fans. Um, but but no, I was I was hanging on it all as you say waiting for this for a nugget that i could maybe use one day and i don't have any it was very intrepid reporting from david (laughs) real real commitment um grigor dimitrov's playing in washington ben shelton sebastian corder andy murray chris eubanks and there are wild cards for kevin anderson and kay nishikori Let's party like it's 2016, guys. (laughs) Uh, The ATP is also in Los Cabos. Stefanos Sitsbas, Cam Norrie, the top seeds. Tommy Paul, Alex de Menor, Nicholas Jarry in there. You can tell Matt wrote the agenda, can't you? Nicholas Jarry Mm -hmm. popping up. Um, The ATP is also in (laughs) Kitzbühel. David's predicted Thomas Martinez a very to win the title there. He's the top seed. I assume Dominic Team is playing. Um, and the WTA are also in Prague, where Marie Buzkova and Zhu Lin are the top two seeds. And I think that's it. You can go on your holidays now, David. Hey, looking forward to it. <laughs> Unless not anyone before, has anything. anything not before further. seeing seeing your mascot, though, because uh, that's just popped up on my screen. And uh, mm. my word, we've got a good one this week. Our mascot this week is Rocky. And Rocky was adopted from the Dogs Trust in April 2022. He's five years old. They're not sure of his breed, but when... And this is owner Hina Kerai speaking here. Um, Says, not sure of his breed, but when I've taken him for a walk, someone has asked if he's a Kelpie. So I think he's half smooth collie and half Kelpie. I'd like to hear Catherine's thought on it. Rocky loves chasing tennis balls in the park and lots of belly rubs, which is very Billie Jean-esque. Um, it's quite difficult for me. It's a beautiful picture. Rocky is lying parallel with the, the bottom stair and, and gazing at whoever's taking the photo very lovingly. It's hard for me to tell scale from this photo, Hina. Um, I, I mean, I was instinctively going to say a bit of collie and a bit of alsatian but that not that might be too big and now i've seen kelpie i can't unsee it but there's definitely some collie in there and rocky is an absolute beaut and the dogs trust are an excellent charity um so thank you hina and thank you rocky for being our mascot for this week we have our mascots, I have got Xenia, David has Maisie and Matt has Darwin. Billie Jean, just toddled off somewhere. Uh, she is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Marty Betton who is in North Wales, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, I was just about to say, I've I've been to North Wales since we last recorded a pod, mm. but not North Wales, Pennsylvania. Although I've been to North Wales and you've um, been to Pennsylvania. Yeah. 
So between us, we've got it covered. Um, I'm going to go Marty McFly, who is not a tennis player, but you can't say Marty and not go McFly. And I'm really anxious now, David, that Matt isn't going to understand that reference. I I was going to say the same, yeah, because, I mean, Marty McFly came into my mind within within about 0.4 seconds. (laughs) Um, So, yes, that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was definitely one, but uh, but I would actually like to offer uh, Martin Mulligan, a former tennis player who was known as Marty, and he reached the men's singles final at Wimbledon in 1962, beaten by Rod Laver. David did you did read you did no. read I, I saw I saw him reading. David. Well, no, I did. I did look it up, I, but but I mean, obviously, I, it came to my mind first in order to prompt the looking up. Um, but I believe I believe. Marty Reeson. Okay, yes, that that one rings a bell as well. Um, mm. But I think Marty Mulligan has uh, maybe has a grandson who he's, works for. He's Fila. not letting Marty Mulligan um, go, Matt. So, um, well, not you know, anything. I think it's I think it's pretty good, and I think I deserve. He's done the my research. Due, he's going to use it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Marty. <laughs> We've also got David Ryan, who is in New York. Right, Dave. Hello, David. And we'll be in New York as well soon. And, Yay! And David has written one of my favourite things that's ever been written in a in a tell us a bit more about yourself section that we have for shout out David says I started listening to the pod in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when it was just a twinkle in David's eye. <laughs> Which I can only assume is... Well, I don't know. What date... What year do we think he was going for? I think I feel, I mean, he's got it all wrong. I mean... 2019, I'm going. Um, big but then typo. only one of the... I mean, only... Yeah, then, then only, only the nine. Only the final nine is correct. I don't know, but... Anyway, well, I, th- um, I think we also met, the thing is, da- David's have a bit of telepathy about them, and he knew deep down in my soul that I was already thinking about the tennis podcast in 1999. Mm. So, thank you, know. you David. Yeah, well, David says that he, he he started listening in, in an attempt to keep up with his U.S. Open friend group, and now, thanks to the pod, he's officially in charge of player name pronunciations, which. Using us as we a... We try. We try. I would say we're... <laughs> as a things guide. we're better at. Okay. <laughs> but we, we do try. try, Catherine. We do. We try. We do. We do. I'm a Dutch specialist. Yes. Thank you very much, David. <laughs> and finally, we have Chris Bunting, who is in Melbourne. Hi, Chris. Oh, all the and Grand Slam places. Chris, Hello, Chris. Chris says, This shout-out is a Christmas present from my partner, James. We met each other playing in the Glam Slam, the Pride tournament played at the Australian oh. Open. James likes to remind me that he beat me in the doubles final that year. But just like <laughs> Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova, our loving rivalry has been one-way traffic ever since. <laughs> <laughs> they met playing the Glam Slam. I love that. Mm, how great wow. is that? Someone, that's like a I married that ball boy moment. Remember that story? Yes. Reader, I married him. Very good. Thank you, Chris. Great very, story. Very, very good. Like Great Chris shout O'Connell. Outs. That's a Chris The sensation. Though, yeah. 
but you know. Chris Lewis. Yes, we always go Chris back Evert. to Chris Lewis, don't we? Chris Evert, yeah. Chris Lots Evert. Lots of Chris's. Chris Everett was right there, Chris's. and David went, Chris O'Connell. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and he's not even known as Chris, is he? <laughs> it's either Christopher or Sensation. Sensations are hard to ignore, always. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you to all our shout-outs. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you, Wendy, for introducing the show today. Thank you all for listening. We have produced two friend shows since Wimbledon. We've done a Wimbledon review show with incredible contributors via voice notes we've done a Q&A show can anyone remember any of the topics we covered in the Q&A show we basically just talked about how we were amazed pleasantly amazed that the live from Wimbledon actually got on air (laughs) yeah we talked about the process of that happening we talked it wasn't all just it wasn't a whole self-indulgent hour it was good good stuff we like the Q&A shows um if you'd like to (laughs) Uh, be able to listen then you can do so by becoming a friend of the pod and you'll also get access to the upcoming relived shows matt and david are corpsing so i'll get this show (laughs) off the road matt and i will be back next week uh we'll be back with two pods next week david will be swanning around france somewhere probably for the best though because he's he's lost it thank you for listening (laughs) and we will speak to you soon 